This morning, it's good to see you all here. I know there's quite a lot of people away today because they're taking people to university. So um, we managed to plan our church lunch and our full church meeting when everyone was away, which is always good, isn't it? Well, not everyone, sorry. You're all here, and that is wonderful, and I do apologise. But there are a lot of people away. Um, But... We will pray for those who are going to university for the first time and going back again. Just a few notices before we begin our time together. If you haven't picked up a new sheet for September, please do. There's lots of things in this and also um, a couple of things that are coming up later on in the year as well. A reminder that this week we have our CTIC meeting, which is a Christians Together annual meeting, which as it's annual happens once a year, although we're going to increase it to three times. I know. Um, This one will be at All Saints Church Hall, which is at the top of the village, on Tuesday the 26th, which is this coming Tuesday at 7.30. Anyone can come along to these meetings. If you're interested in what the churches, the Christians are doing together in the village, if you want to know what's coming up in this next few months, or if you want to input into what you think the Christians in the village should be doing, then please come along to that meeting, 7.30 at All Saints Church Hall on Tuesday. Um, Also, our house group is on on Wednesday, 8 o'clock, David and Paula's, I think, is that the right venue? Yes. And we will be discussing what we're looking at today in the service, so please come along to that if you can. And please remember... That today we have a church lunch following our service. If you didn't know about that, but you still want to stay, you're most welcome. There'll be plenty of food. Met a few people down the co-op earlier. Um, so, you know, I know that there's food here. Um, and then after that, we have our full church meeting, which is for anyone, um, not members, anyone who's here today, um, who would like to find out what we did last year, what we're planning to do this coming year, and the kind of things that go on here at the church. So please stay for that, or one of those, if you can. If you're a young person or a child here and you don't want to stay for the meeting, but you want to stay for the movie that's going to be put on upstairs, then you could do that as well. Oh, well, that's a secret, because then, you know, you might not stay. Who does that? That's just cruel. Okay. I've got a question for you. It's it's a question because I was reading an article in the paper the other day, and um, my question for you is, who do you think is the most powerful person in the world at this moment? Yes. I'll give you like one minute to just discuss it with someone else. Who do you think is the most powerful person in the world at the moment? Then I'll ask you in a minute, just chat about it. Okay, who do you think is the most powerful person in the world at this present time. Anyone got any opinions on that? No one. No. Oh, yes, Miranda. Mr. Putin. Mm. But God's got a lot of power. Mr. Putin over there. I mean, not, not over there, that's Miranda. <laughs> Anyone else? Yes? Um, you? Well... Probably in our house, yes, there's a lot of power held there. Any, anyone else got any opinion? No one? Interesting. I'm sure you have, yes. I don't want to 
Korean leader, yes, yes, could have quite a lot of power or quite a lot of talk, at least. Let's hope there's not any uh, follow-on from that. Well, I, I was reading this article, and um, it referred to Forbes magazine, which, of course, talks about powerful people a lot of the time. And their top three for 2017, so might have changed if they'd have done it more recently, were number one... Vladimir Putin, the most powerful person in the world. Number two, Donald Trump. Oh, help us. And number three, Angela Merkel. Those are the top three of the most powerful people in the world in 2017. It's interesting how it changes, but they have been the top three, well, last year and this year. And David Cameron was at number eight. I was like, oh, it's interesting. In 2017. (laughs) But then I read that. I got a little bit concerned. I got a little bit worried. And then I looked at the Bible. And it says this. This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Who is the most powerful person in the world? When we have a God who created all things and who is in control, we can trust in him. Psalm 93 says, the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed in majesty and armed with strength. Indeed, the world is established, firm and secure. Your throne was established long ago. You are from all eternity. The seas have lifted up. Lord, the seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters. Mightier than the breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your statutes, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. Well, we are continuing with our series through the book of Ephesus in the New Testament. We complete our reading of chapter 1 today. We have so far looked at verses 1 to 14. And today we will be looking at verses 15 to 23, which is the final few verses of chapter 1. Paul has been reminding the church in Ephesus of the wonderful grace of God and how he thought of them and us before the world began and how through the work of Jesus on the cross he has brought us to himself as his children and placed his Holy Spirit within us as we look forward to a wonderful inheritance. And then he says this, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all his people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. 
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Many of you will know that before I came to Cottenham, I used to live in London, which I love London, it's an amazing place, but when you live in London, as I know some of you have, you don't really go into London, so you live in your part of London and there's all these amazing sights and amazing things on your doorstep that people travel into London to see and you don't really go and see them because you live there and why would you go sightseeing in London when you live in London and therefore you never see anything while you're there? And so when I left London and people said, oh, did you go in there? I was like, oh, no, I never did that. Why would I do that? Well, a few months ago, I went back to London to meet up with some friends who still live there and they said, I tell you what, let's be tourists. You know, let's go around and have a look at things. So we walked down the river and it was a lovely sunny day. It was early July. You know when we had that bit of sun? ages ago and we walked down the river we were in our flip-flops and rolled up jeans and sunglasses and then my friend said oh let's stop in this cafe on the side of the river look out over the river and have a lunch and I thought oh, sounds good I haven't done that so we did that we sat and had a lazy lunch and then we had you know about an hour before we all went our different ways and we were like what should we do and my friend said I'll tell you what there's a nice little wine bar up the shard you know the tall building in London. Let's go in there. And I was like, a nice little wine bar sounds a bit posh. You know, she said, it's all right. It's all right. I've been there before. You might have to roll your jeans down and, you know, straighten out your T-shirt, Kate, but you'll be fine. So we walked up to the Shard and we walked in and I don't know, has anyone been in the Shard? There's all these bouncers and metal detectors and everything. And as we walked in, she turned to me and she said, Kate, just that confident, roll your trousers down, look posh. And I'm like, <laughs> So I walked in, like, I don't know, what, is this what posh people I walked in. And we got through the security guard and we went up to the restaurant and we sat down. And we sat down, we looked around, and everyone around us was dressed in suit with their high heels or their posh shoes or, you know, very fancy clothes. And they all seemed to belong there. Whereas us? Not really. Well, we sat there for 20 minutes completely ignored while everyone rushed around to serve these people who looked like they belonged there. And then after a while, my one friend said, "Uh, could we just have a, a menu? We only want a coffee and a cake, which cost us, by the way, about £20. But anyway, that's beside the point. And we got a menu about five minutes later. Then we got ignored for another ten minutes. And eventually, 
we got our coffee and our cake, which we had to throw down our throats because we were late. And then we got ushered out after we tried to take a selfie by the window, because I don't think you're supposed to do that in this wine bar. But anyway, it was an amazing experience being somewhere like that. But we all felt a little bit out of place. Because, you see, all around us were people who clearly fit in with the environment, the wine bar which we'd gone to. They were dressed correctly. They were well-resourced. They had the right social standing. They seemed to be people, if you like, of power and influence. Probably just come from the city to have a little wine while they discussed their business transactions. And this was how they were treated. They were served quickly. They were looked after well. They were made sure everything was fine. Whereas we, three women in rolled-up jeans, flip-flops and sunglasses, didn't seem to carry the same weight in that environment. We felt a little bit powerless. We were overlooked. We were ignored in this environment that was full of power and influence and high-flying people. And although it was very exciting, probably why we weren't served, because we were giggling, we were a little excited about it, it was hard for us to hold our own in this environment full of very different people. And you know, in the same way here in the letter to the Ephesians and the churches of the surrounding area... There is a feeling that Paul is writing to people in a similar situation. People, if you, if you like, who felt a little bit out of place in the situation that they found themselves. Because, you see, the church in Ephesus and the surrounding area was situated in a hugely prosperous, thriving environment. Not only was Ephesus a city positioned well with good trade routes that ran all the way through it, it also was a place that held much power. It was set up as a city of influence, if you like, in the time of Paul. It carried imperial expectations from Rome. It was a place that championed Roman rule, that celebrated Roman culture, that promoted Roman principles. The emperor was very keen that Ephesus be established as a city that would enhance the region and promote Roman ways throughout the area. And so huge resources had been poured into this city and people had flocked from all over to be part of what was going on. And as well as this, Ephesus, of course, was a place that held many religious um, things and, and lots of cults. In the surrounding area, it was most probably known as a place of great religious power. It housed, as we said before, the Temple of Artemis, the seventh ancient wonder of the world, as well as many other cults and many other huge buildings and practices. If you like, it was a place where different beliefs thrived, where commerce grew and diversified, where Roman rule was obvious and celebrated. In other words, Ephesus was a place of power, both religious and political, where influential, well-resourced people lived and felt comfortable. And in and among this power and influence lived the Christians of the day as well, overshadowed, if you like, by the extraordinary resources that were all around them, struggling to hold their own in a culture dominated by the principalities and powers of their day. And so into this difficult situation, Paul writes this letter. 
And he writes it firstly to encourage these Christians, to reassure them, to show them that in all the difficulties they face, they're not alone. He's heard about their faith and he's heard about their care for other people and he's praying for them. He's thanking God for them and he's remembering their situation. As the beginning of our passage today says, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all his people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul wants to encourage these people, these followers of God who live in such a difficult environment. He wants them to know that they have much to be proud of. But in the same passage, he also wants to challenge them. He wants to challenge them to see that within this difficult situation that they're in, this powerful city with influential leaders and great cults and huge buildings, this domineering place, he wants them to know that their situation, rather than being one of weakness, overshadowed by the power that's around them, is actually one of great strength. And that the focus of Paul's prayers for them, as well as being to thank God, is to pray that they will see the strength they have within the culture of their day. That they will see the truth. That in some amazing way, as followers of God, they actually hold much more power than those that are around them. You see, Paul wants these faithful Christians to see that in living their lives for God, they have power. As he puts it in verse 19, they have his incomparably great power for us who believe. Not power of influence or resources or physical strength like that which they see all around them, but an even greater power, one that has the ability to change and transform and revolutionise people's lives. It's the power of God made known in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Or as Paul puts it, the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realm. You see, in the environment in which they lived, Paul wanted these Christians to know what true power was. That even though they might look around and see all around them money and influence and a huge amount of resources, compared to the power of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, this was nothing. They may live in a city dripping with power and influence, but compared to the power that God held, this really didn't matter. Because the power of God was for them. Not for the rich, not for the influential, not for the rulers, but for them, the ordinary Christians in the region of Ephesus who sought to faithfully follow their saviour. It was a power that God had placed in their lives to transform and change. It was the Spirit of God at work in and through his people. And so when Paul prayed, when he thanked God for the Christians in Ephesus, he also prayed that the eyes of their heart might be enlightened in order that they may know this power that God had placed within them. He also prayed that their eyes may be open to see where the real power lay. 
so that they might live with confidence in this environment that was so difficult. I don't know whether any of you are on Facebook. I'm sure quite a few of you are. But going around Facebook recently, there was a post, a little video of a man who had not been able to see colour for the whole of his life. I don't know whether anyone saw it. And he got bought these special glasses for his birthday. I actually watched it, I actually cried, because it's quite emotional. He got bought these special glasses for his birthday, and they videoed him as he came out of the house and he opened his present. And these glasses, I don't understand them, but when you put them on, they allow you to see colour. And so he got these glasses out, and he was standing there, he's like a pair of glasses. And they were like, put the glasses on. And so he put the glasses on, and he stands there for a minute. And then he becomes like a little child. He starts to rock backwards and forwards like this and and clap his hands. And and then he he goes like this for a while, and he's he's looking around, and they go, turn around, look at the flowers. And And he's like this, and he can't contain himself. And he starts to cry, and we all start to cry because we're watching it, and it's quite emotional, and they're crying. And... Then he says, it's not, it's not like mud anymore. And they're saying to him, you can see with our eyes. You can see with our eyes now. And he's so excited because he's never, ever seen colour. And he's looking at it right that moment. You see, he's lived among colour for the whole of his life. But he's never really seen it until he puts those glasses on. And in the same way, when Paul writes this passage, he's urging these people who live among power every day to understand and see what real power is, to put on different glasses, to see how God sees it, that power is not the principalities they see around them, that it is not the resources and the riches that they cannot have, that it's not the Roman rule that overshadows them every day. Instead, it is something within them. It is the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, made resident in their lives. So that it doesn't matter where they live, it doesn't matter what the powers around them are doing. It doesn't matter who's calling the shots in the immediate environment because they have been given something greater. They have been given the power of God himself to live differently. And you know, sometimes when we live as Christians today, within the environment that we have around us, where resources and power and influence are so obvious and so threatening, where leaders see power now not only as as a war of words but as a show of weapons, where things seem dangerous and out of control. It's easy for us, like the Ephesians, to think that we have no strength to have that our numbers are dwindling, that our influence is weakening, that our role is simply to survive and hope that one day God will make everything right. We feel we have no real power, that we're out of place in this power-soaked environment which is so prevalent around us. If you like, we can feel we only have jeans and flip-flops to wear in an environment of suits and high heels. 
And yet here in the letter to the Ephesians, Paul urges us to see things differently as he urged the Christians of his day to open our eyes, to look again, to recognise that actually God's power is here. And it's greater than anything we see around us because it's the power to change and transform. So rather than being in a place of weakness with all the power around us, we're actually in a place of great strength because the very power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is working within our lives, residing within our church family. Not so we can feel wonderful and never have any problems and wander through life untouched by world events but rather so that within the environment in which we live, within the powers and principalities that are at work around us, we can live differently. We can live faithfully. We can live by the power of God. People who are led and guided and changed by his Holy Spirit, who has made his home in our lives. You see, the truth for Paul was that Jesus Christ reigned. Whatever was going on around, Jesus was Lord. Or as he put it in this letter, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, that's Jesus, to be head over everything. Jesus reigns. And one day, his power will make everything right. But for now, that power is in us. His Holy Spirit working in and through us so that we can live lives empowered by him to bring change and transformation to our world. So as we go from here into the next room to have coffee and lunch and meet together and then from here may we know the love of God made known in Christ Jesus may we know the power of God that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and may we live in that power and from that power that others may know him too may God bless us and keep us and walk with us Amen